0: Good morning, Maranatha. This is Pastor Evangelist Robert Vittable. Welcome to our website for Sunday Morning Alive. We welcome you today as we gather around uh, the Word of God today to receive a message that I believe it's from the heart of God. You know why I believe it's from the heart of God? Amen. Because it's in the Word of God. The Scripture said all All Scripture said of itself, all Scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired. God-breathed. Hallelujah. Friend of mine, I believe God will speak clearly and plainly. The question is, will we hear and give heed? If you have a heart to obey the Word of God today, then you have an ear to hear the word of god that's why in the in the message to the seven churches of asia in each and every one of those messages this scripture appears he that hath an ear let him hear what the spirit saith to the church amen i believe the holy spirit is speaking loud and clear today i believe jesus call today Amen is clarion and clear. I believe God is speaking in the voice of the Lord. Hallelujah! Like a clap of thunder is is speaking loud and clear. And you know what I'm told to do as a minister of the gospel to lift up my voice as a trumpet. Praise God. So I want to call uh, you today to hear this message from the Word of God, and I pray that you will heed this message today. Amen. The message that we're going to bring you today is going to be a challenging message. There will never be a change without a challenge. I want to say that again. There will never be a change without a challenge. And that's why when I hear preaching, when I hear teaching, I, I demand to be challenged. If it isn't challenging, no changes are going to come. But if I'm challenged by the Word of God, then I'm going to make some decisions. And I'm going to make decisions that's going to allow God to make some changes in me. As we behold as in a glass, reflected to us by the Word of God, His face, we are changed. <laughs> Hallelujah. From glory to glory, even by the Spirit of God. Amen. Well, we're here today to to challenge, and that's why the title of this message is a question that we're going to try to answer biblically here today. Who are the enemies of the cross? That's the Title of the message that I believe God is bringing to His people to challenge us and to change us right in the midst of a time where it seems like everything has been put on hold and many are languishing spiritually as well as physically and personally and financially and in every other way. This is God's call. Hallelujah today to you and to me, God's challenge to you and to me. Who are the enemies of the cross? And immediately it connotates the atheist and the and the 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 worldly People that absolutely are, are anti-Christian and anti-Christ in so many ways. There are so many, uh, pol- political, uh, people who are enemies clearly of the cross. They have no regard for the Bible, no regard for the Word of God, no regard for Jesus and His teachings. The, the, uh, the Hollywood, uh, Culture uh, is by and large, of course, enemies of the cross of Christ. But the problem is there are enemies of the cross in our ranks. There are enemies of the cross sitting in churches all over the world. There are enemies of the cross that do not appear initially as enemies of the cross. And that's what God wants us to be challenged by today. I don't know about you, but I don't want to wait till Jesus comes to declare where I stand. (laughs) Hallelujah. I want him to know. Amen. Right here. Right now that I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. Amen. I want him to know that I have made a commitment that I am crucified unto the world, and the world is crucified unto me. And the great separator, amen, is the cross of Jesus Christ today. So let's look into this, and let's get a biblical answer to this question. Philippians three seventeen through 19 Brethren, be ye followers of me. Remember Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Hallelujah. Because he was radically committed to Jesus. Amen. Brethren, be ye followers of me, and mark them which walk. So, as ye have us for an example. For many, many, this is something we need to underscore. This is not just a few people, then the majority are not in this camp. Many walk, of whom I have told you often and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Friend, if we study the Scriptures, we're going to discover very quickly that the Christian faith allows no middle ground. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve two masters. It's impossible to serve two masters. You're going to love one. And in order to love one, you're going to end up hating the other. And here is Jesus' call to radical commitment in Matthew six nineteen through 24 Listen to it. He said, "...lay not up yourself treasure upon the earth, where the moth and rust doth corrupt." And where thieves break through to steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. No man, this is without exception in verse 24, can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now mammon here is a word that it is talking about gold and silver and money. But it's not just money. It's what money can buy. It's not just the money itself for the sake of the money. It is what money purchases for us. If you are rich, and people know that you are rich, they're going to treat you different. They're going to try to ingratiate themselves to you because of your riches. One of the problems with being very, very rich is you never know who your true friends are. Listen, friend of mine, I'm going to tell you right now, with all of the applause and allocates that the rich receive because of their riches, you can't serve God and all of the material and all of the emotional and all of the fleshly things and satisfactions and desires that you can fulfill with your riches you can't serve God and mammon you can serve God with mammon if you're rich you can use your riches and be a steward over it and be a blessing in so many ways to so many people. But you can't serve God and mammon. One translates, you can't worship two gods at once. Loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both at the same time. Amen. Romans 6.16 brings this out really "...perfectly to me. Know ye not that whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servant ye are whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? Make no mistake about it, whoever or whatever consumes our time, our energy, our devotion, our finances, is our master." One paraphrase reads, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? Jesus calls us to a radical commitment. He leaves no wiggle room, no vacillating between decisions, no divided loyalties. Listen to Luke 11 and 23. He that's not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. Another paraphrase reads, and I like this, Anyone who isn't with me opposes me, and anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. We're beginning to see how one could claim to be a, a follower of Jesus Christ and not live a life that demonstrates a radical shift in our values. Claiming to be a Christian while holding a worldview is a contradiction of the truth. Faith, James chapter 4 and verse 4 says, and he, he talks about this in terms of our, our, our loyalty to Christ and His kingdom and our loyalties to self and sin. And he says, you adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? whosoever therefore shall be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now listen, I'm not talking about all of the beauty of the earth, the beautiful places of this world that that God has made beautiful. You know, the heavens are the Lord, the earth He's made for man and our enjoyment. The world here is talking about a system under the influence of Satan himself that is radically opposed diametrically opposed to christ and his kingdom this this god of darkness this lord of darkness this this evil one this ruler of the darkness that is in the world this system that we are under as christians the world system is what this is talking about amen the amplified says anyone who loves this world system amen takes his stand as the enemy of God. Are you getting a picture here of enemies of the cross? He takes his stand as an enemy of God. Amen. The world is defined here, and elsewhere is not just the earth, therefore, which God made for man's habitation and enjoyment. It's a spiritual system that is opposed to God and to his people, it promises a fulfillment which it cannot provide, a peace which it cannot procure. It says that sin will bring you satisfaction. It's only an illusion built on lies. That's why 1 John chapter 2 verse 15 through 17 says it this way. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. O dear friend, The cross where Jesus died for our sins stands as a symbol of our liberation from sin, slavery, and servitude. To claim the benefits of Christ's atoning death and to live, to live differently, amen, is the call of God to us today. To live out our flesh, hallelujah with a change of heart and a different value system than the world around us. Amen. If we do not have that, then it marks us as enemies of the cross. For all His suffering and death accomplished to set us free has not been embraced, and we have not decided once and for all to deny ourself, take up our cross, and follow Him. These are not the obvious enemies without, like Herod and Pontius Pilate and Hitler and Mussolini and Madeleine Murray O'Hare or the radical Islamic cleric who declares a holy war against non-Muslims and the worshipers of the cross. We, as true believers, do not worship the cross, but Christ who died on it. The cross is the symbol of our liberation, our redemption, and victory over Satan and sin's bondage. These enemies of the cross are professing Christians as well, whose lives betray their true loyalties. One paraphrase of our text reads this way, Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine. And learn from those who follow our example. For I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many which conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. They think only about life here on earth. Notice that Paul says many walk this way. Many are the enemies of the cross of Christ. He doesn't say there are few who walk this way. He says there are many that walk in this way. Many suggestions have been made as to what specific group of people Paul has in mind. And I believe that we can narrow it here to not only the world and all of those people who oppose God and the the concept of God and the Bible as his holy inerrant word and and the church and and all of those things that we're supposed to be embracing and representing and I don't I don't I don't believe that we can specifically narrow it down to one group but I do believe that he is also referring to professing Christians whose lifestyle betrays the cross of Jesus Christ. There were people like this around in Paul's day and unfortunately there are people like this around in our day. Some describe them this way. These are people who say they're friends of Christ and the cross of Christ, who advocate Christ, who identify with Christ, whose names are on the church roll, who want spiritual leadership positions, but they are enemies of the cross of Christ. They are very subtle. It takes discernment. To recognize them. Listen to C.H. Spurgeon's words about this same group of people. He said, Beloved, I'd rather have a thousand devils out of the church than have one in it. I do not care about all the adversaries outside. Our greatest cause of fear is from the crafty wolves in sheep's clothing that devour the flock. It is against such that we should denounce in holy wrath and solemn sentence of divine indignation. For such we would shed our bitterest tears of sorrow. They are enemies of the cross of Christ. Friend, the Apostle Paul goes on to say that he's told the Philippians often about these types of people, enemies of the cross. It's a theme we see throughout the New Testament. There are those who profess Jesus Christ, but are spiritual counterfeits. There are false teachers out there. Many live as enemies of the cross of Jesus. And we need to be aware that not everyone who professes the name of Christ actually belongs to Him. And Jesus warned us not only about false people, but false prophets in Matthew 7 and verse 15. He said, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. They may appear harmless at first, but they are destructive and deadly. Jesus told us to beware of false prophets. We need to watch out. Amen. We need to have a heads up from Jesus today. Peter also warned us about false teachers in 2 Peter 2 and verse 1. Listen. But there were also false prophets among the people, even even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. Paul is asking the Philippians in question, where is your ambition focused on things of the earth? Which are temporal and passing away, or the things of heaven which are eternal and have everlasting value. Remember, ultimately, there's only two possible ambitions either His glory, Jesus centered ambition, or our own glory, self centered ambition. It's not wrong to desire marriage, a family, a meaningful career, and nicer things in life, or even a successful ministry that grows and touches the lives of many. Indeed, it's entirely appropriate and and acceptable that we should have these and other ambitions. But when such ambitions take us from Christ and His glory and God and His kingdom, of righteousness. (laughs) Amen. When we begin to focus on simply the material and the physical instead of the spiritual and the eternal, then we are on dangerous ground. It's a slippery slope that ultimately, if not addressed and corrected, will cause us to become literal enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul's challenge for us is to examine our values and our life and our behavior in light of the cross. One writer comments on the current seeker-friendly movement that is attracting so many. And he says in the modern church of the new millennium, there's a sort of pseudo-spiritual reassurance. I'm okay, you're okay, God loves us just the way we are and wants to bless us and give us everything our flesh craves. Does that sound familiar today? That only religion can give. Enemies of the cross want a steady diet of positive, inspirational, self-help messages. They want to feel good about themselves, about what they want in this life, and they want their church experience to reinforce those feelings. And most church leaders strive to make sure they get just what they want. Because they know you have to keep people happy if you're going to keep them coming back and continue to support the institution. Their God is their own desires. And they care only for earthly things of this world. In other words, they aren't too concerned about what the God of the universe wants. And they have no real eternal spiritual perspective. But they're too wrapped up, in what this present world has to offer. The modern day message of just gaining wealth and getting things and that that's what God's greatest desire for His people is, is heresy, plain and simple. It is It is aberrant to the gospel of Christ. It is aberrant to the example of Christ, it is in no way representative of the example of the apostles. And that's why Paul said, I want you to follow me the way that I'm following Jesus. And I want you to mark them that are walking in this way, in this radical commitment to Christ. Not this kind of wishy-washy. I I, I only want Jesus for what's in it for me. (laughs) I don't care about His glory. I don't care about His honor. I don't care about His cross. Amen. I I want to close this message today with a challenge. To do as the old song says. I will cling to the old rugged cross. And exchange it someday for a crown. Listen to what Paul said in Galatians 6 and verse 14. He said, But God forbid that I should glory, saving the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. A.W. Tozer talked about the cross, old and new. Here's what he said. From this new cross, has sprung a new philosophy of the Christian life. And from that new philosophy has come a new evangelical technique, a new type of meeting and a new type of preaching. This new evangelism employs the same language as of the old, but its content is not the same, and the emphasis not as before. The new cross encourages a new and entirely different evangelistic approach. The evangelist does not demand abnegation of the old life before the new life can be received. He preaches not contrast, but similarities. He seeks to key into public view the same thing the world does, only on a higher level. Whatever the sin-mad world happens to be clamoring after at the moment is cleverly shown to be the very thing the gospel offers. Somebody say man there's a teaching out there that God wants every child of his to be as affluent and rich and listen God wants to bless you don't get me wrong but we're there there's a teaching that says we're to be just like the Hollywood crowd we're to be just like the 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 rich and affluent of this world walking in pride and with their mind only on earthly things listen The new cross does not slay the sinner. It simply redirects him, he says. It gears him to be a cleaner and jollier way to a cleaner and jollier way of living and saves his self-respect. The Christian message is slanted in the direction of the current vogue in order to make it acceptable to the public. The philosophy back of this kind of thing may be sincere, but its its sincerity does not save it from being false. It's false because it's blind. It misses completely the whole meaning of the cross. Listen, he says, and I love this, because it is so true today. The old cross is a symbol of death. It stands for the abrupt, violent end of a human being, the man in Roman times who took the cross and started down the road has already said goodbye to his friends. He's not coming back. <laughs> He's not going to have his life redirected. He's going to have his life ended. The cross made no compromise, modified nothing, spared nothing. It slew all the men completely and for good. It did not try to keep him on good terms with the victim. It struck cruel and hard, and when it had finished its work, the man was no more. Remember what the Apostle Paul said? It's no more I that live, I'm dead, and yet I'm alive, more alive than I've ever been, but it's no more I that live, but Christ that liveth in me. Praise God. Listen, Tozer went on to say, The race of Adam is under the death sentence. There's no com." commuting there's no escape God cannot approve any fruits of sin however innocent they may appear or beautiful to the eyes of men God salvages the individual by liquidating him and then raising him again to the newness of life That evangelism which draws friendly parallels between the ways of God and the ways of men is false to the Bible and cruel to the soul of its hearers. The faith of Christ does not parallel the world. It intersects it. In coming to Jesus, we do not bring our old life to a higher plane. (laughs) We, We leave it on a cross. Oh, praise God. When Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. That's the crucifixion of the flesh. Hallelujah. That's the putting of the old man on the cross so that we can take up our cross and follow Jesus. We who preach the gospel must not think of ourselves as public relation agents sent to establish goodwill between Christ and the world. We dare not imagine ourselves commissioned to make Jesus acceptable to big business, the press, the world of sports, or modern entertainment. We are not diplomats, hallelujah, but prophets, and our message is not a suggestion. It is an ultimatum. Today, the world needs to realize that they are lost in need of a Savior, And our message to them is that while that is absolutely true, thank God, God has provided a lamb. God has sent a Savior. And the Savior is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. Listen, Jesus has come to seek and to save that which was lost and to sanctify the people who saves, he saves, so that through the washing of water by the word, he might present us unto himself a holy people, a separated people, a sanctified people, a church without spot, without blemish, but that she might be holy. A worthy bride for a worthy groom. Oh, the marriage supper of the Lamb is going to occur. and All of us who have washed our garments and made them white in the blood of the Lamb will attend. And while we can never attain that perfect righteousness through our behavior, yet, We are called to behave different than the world about us so that our values and their values do not run parallel. The message of the cross brings separation and separation is biblical sanctification. (laughs) Hallelujah. Because sanctification means cleansed and set apart for a holy purpose. (laughs) Hallelujah. So today as a Christian, I pray you're challenged to never ever begin to follow that that would cause you to become without initial intention an enemy of the cross of Christ. If you don't know Him as your Savior today, you're already an enemy of the cross but you can embrace the cross. You can come to Jesus. You can repent of your sin, accept Him as your Lord and Savior, and you can take up your cross and follow Him in Jesus' name.